Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Here's Pastor Willie Taylor. You can also use those points as prayer points as you're praying uh, during the week. Just to let you know, this is the 14th day of our prayer and fasting. Everybody say, yay for fasting. (laughs) And I hope you are participating in that fast. But It's our 14th day of our 21-day fast and prayer. And I would like to also to invite you to come uh, this coming Thursday, uh, this Thursday night uh, from 7 to 8.30. Uh, we have uh, about a half an hour of worship, and, and we have an hour of prayer. And it will be a great way to end up our uh, 21 day, days of fast and prayer. Sunday, next Sunday, uh, is our last day of our 21-day uh, fast. So uh, please continue to fast. Please, please continue to pray for God to show you areas that you need to detox. Now, the areas today that I want to talk about, we've shared with you uh, basically the, the picture on the refrigerator, what we want to, to uh, detox for, what it's supposed to look like. After we did that, we also shared with you uh, how to detox ourselves. But we've never talked about yet what we're going to detox. Today, I want to share one thing that we want to detox. This thing, we need to stay in a mode of detoxing because our body, uh, God built our body so that it's going through detoxing and some things uh, uh, all the time because that's the way God built our body to detox things on its own. Now, we need to be detoxing this area, and it's called Disunity. Disunity. Disunity is anything that destroys or deteriorates unity or oneness. Unity is what I call oneness. If it destroys oneness, then you want to detox it. Continually stay detox. You have to do that in any relationship that you have. I don't care if it's if it's just you and, and uh, uh, your, your, your mother, you and your sister, you and your brother. It can be uh, you, you, you and your mate. It can be your family. It can be your church. It can be your job. It can be the nation. We have to be in unity. Now, I was reading that uh, back in, in, the, in the days when Abraham Lincoln was running for Senate, he actually used uh, one of the verses about you know, a nation divided. Uh, so we want to make sure we stay in this detox mode. Let's look at it in Mark chapter 3. Let's go there first of all. We're just introducing this particular detoxing substance spiritually we have to do. Verse 23, we'll start there. It says, I'm reading from the New American Standard, and he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables, and he was speaking to them because they, uh, some, of the, uh, some of the scribes, scribes were saying that he was uh, casting out devils by 
Beelzebub, he had an unclean spirit. And so Jesus said, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can not stand. Mine's in red, so uh, it's speaking, Jesus is talking. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. It's important to realize that if Jesus says that a house divided cannot stand, that means a house divided cannot stand. I don't care what we want to do, what we want to think, it will not stand. Satan knows that, so what he's going to try to do in your marriage, what he's going to try to do in your family, what he's going to try to do in your job, what he's going to try to do in, his, in the church, he's going to try to do in the nation, is divide the nation. Divide the house. Divide the marriage. Divide the children against the parents. Division. That's what he wants. He wants disunity. And we've got to realize that he can't have it. He cannot have it. There's also a disunity even in our own personal bodies that we have to have to be aware of that we want to be in unity with the word of God so we have to get our mind renewed to the word of God so that our mind will agree with the word and our mind will agree with our spirit so our, 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 our spirit and our soul is combined, unified against this flesh. So there's, there's unity all the time. There has to be some unity going on. Let's go to this particular thing you already know about in Genesis chapter 11. You remember the Tower of Babel? You remember what, what happened there? In, in Genesis, uh, early in Genesis chapter 1, he told man that he wants him to uh, replenish the earth. All over the earth. That's what he wants him to do. And so in verse 1 of chapter 11, in Genesis it says, now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. So we know they could understand each other. And it says that uh, it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, God had already told them he wants them to go over the whole earth to replenish the earth. And they said, I don't want to go over the, over the earth. I don't want to do all this. Let's stay together because if we don't stay together, then, then we're going to be scattered all, all, all over where. They had the same language. Now, even though because they said, let's do this, they don't have to do it. People say, People said, no, we're not going to do this, man. We're going to obey God. We're not going to do this. But they didn't. They agreed. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. And the Lord said, behold, they are, on, they are one people. And they have the same language. That's good. That's good. They understand each other. They have the same language. Do we have the same language? Yeah, we have, do we have the same language in here? We can all speak English, can't we? 
Yeah, we can all speak English. Now, it says here, they are one people. What is disunity? Destroying oneness, isn't it? Destroying oneness. They were one people. And it says that, and, and this is what they began to do. And now, nothing, nothing, it says, which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Now, it tells me, when I think of that, is that unity is so important. It is so important because once, once a family has unity, nothing is impossible. Once a marriage has unity, nothing is impossible. Because you have agreement. You have oneness. In a church, nothing is impossible if you have what? Unity. If you have a job, nothing is impossible if you have what? If you have a nation, nothing is important if you have what? Unity. And isn't that what, what, what the Civil War was all about? They had disunity, didn't they? Disunity. Disunity. And so they had a civil war. Destroyed thousands and thousands and multiple thousands and thousands of lives because of disunity. Disunity. Do you notice Satan is still up to the same thing, trying to destroy unity in the nation? In the nation. Anything that he can find that we have differences of, he wants to magnify the differences. And if we can magnify the differences, then the things that you agree on become small, minute. And we focus on the differences. And then you become disunity, unified, disunified, not oneness. Satan knows that. He knows it in a family. He knows that all, all I have to do in the church, if I can get rid of the head, if I can get rid of Jesus, if I can get rid of him, there will be no church. Huh? Oh, he tried. He tried. Through people, didn't he? He tried. I mean, oh, oh, the wise men, oh, you said that there, there's, a, there's a king, there's somebody named Jesus, there's somebody that's just born that's going to be the king of the Jews. And then he sent somebody to kill all the children of that age. We're going to get him. We destroy the head and we'll get rid of the body. Destroy the unity. He couldn't do it. If he had only known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Is that correct? If he had only known. Oh, you think you're destroying him? Oh, you just messed up. Because now there's going to be many, 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 many Christians going to be just like him because he's going to rise again. And he rose from the dead. No, he rose. So he just messed up. So now instead of being in one place, Jesus is everywhere now. In us all, isn't it? He? he messed up. 
He joined us together. Disunity. It is so important, I'm telling you. It is so important. We have to maintain that. We have to, we have to detox disunity. We have to eradicate it from our, from our marriages, from our families, uh, from our church, from our nation, from our jobs. We have to eradicate it because it will destroy. It will destroy. Now, let's talk about now, let's go to Ephesians chapter chapter. Um, where we read that's where we're going to spend most of our time how can we have such unity with such, such differences because God is the one who created the differences did he not he created everything is so different everyone is different there is no one Exactly alike. None. Zilch. You can put a billion, trillion people and, and take all their fingerprints and every one of them is going to be what? Different. You can take quadruplets. You can take identical twins. You can take whoever. Fingerprints are what? Different. And any, any, any twin will tell you, I mean identical twin, anyone will tell you that I'm different from them. Don't even mix up. Uh, uh, don't mix us up. Our names sound similar. They we are not the same. Won't won't it? Yeah, we have we have a quads in, in in the church, don't we? Come on. Are they different? I've taught uh, uh, identical twins before. I mean, I mean, I mean. Oh my goodness gracious! You can't hardly tell them apart, but. If you got to know them, you can tell them apart. And they get upset if you call them by the wrong name. Because they, they're, they're, they are not there. How can you, how can you, how can you get us mixed, mixed up? We are so different. They will tell you. And the parents dress them alike. And all that kind of stuff, man. You say, man, you know. Different. God created everything he created is so much variety in the world, whether it, be, whether it be animals, whether it be flowers, whether it be stars, whether it be, I don't care what it is, they're, they're all different. Why did God create so many differences and say, now, I want you to be one? He could have made it easy, couldn't he? He could have made us all identical, all just alike, no different whatsoever. But he didn't want to do that. How can we do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. Today, I'm telling you today, if we can get this right, I'm telling you, there is nothing going to be impossible for you in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in the church. And nothing impossible. Nothing whatsoever is going to be impossible. And, and see, the, the thing is, I knew that anyway. And you know that anyway. But the problem is that how do we do it? Because if, if it were that easy, it would already have been done. If it were that easy, don't you know that the that, that, that nation would be unified, that, that, um, that, that the, the churches would be unified, the families would be unified, the marriages would be unified. We wouldn't have all this divisiveness. We wouldn't have all this divorce. We wouldn't have all this other stuff because everybody is in unity. 
if it were that easy. The Bible just didn't come out. Okay? Everybody read the story of the Tower of Babel before. Everybody know that, 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 that you need to be unified. Everybody know that. But why can't we do it? That's what we're going to talk about today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. Paul is impressing upon them. He's urging them that they walk. That means live a life that's worthy of the call in which they've been called. Worthy, you remember what I taught one time, is like a scale. You got on this, you know, the scale of justice, you know, the balance scale. Uh, you, you have on this side, you have all that God has done. On this side, we have us. Okay? He says, I want you to live a manner that's worthy of the calling which you have been called. Now, we have to know that in the United States, let's just take an example of the president. Every president we've had have been sinless. Is that correct? <laughs> right, okay. Now, so we know that the office of president of the United States should carry some weight. Is that correct? Anybody who has that office should walk in a manner worthy of that office. Is that correct? Well, would you agree with me that Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, would you agree they are greater than the president? Okay. Well, is the office of the presidency greater than being a Christian? Representing, in other words, the president, President Barack Obama, he represents that office that we put him in. And I say we because aren't we one nation? Okay. Uh, I don't care who you voted for, we put him in. <laughs> we put him in. Okay. I don't care who you vote for for the next one, we're going to put that one in too. As a corporate nation. Okay? As a corporate, you said, I didn't put him in. I didn't put this one. Because I didn't vote. <laughs> okay. It might be why, you know. But the thing is that as one, we put a man, so that office, I say that, I said that that, that that president, President Barack Obama, that he's not greater than God. Any president is not greater than God. And so that office he holds, uh, even though it's a great office, it's only repre he's representing that office. I said we are representing Jesus Christ. As a Christian, we are representing Jesus Christ. There's no greater call in the world than a Christian. None. None. Well, I believe that Paul, I know that Paul agrees. We are agreeing with Paul. 
the Apostle Paul. He's saying that we should walk worthy of our calling because we have been called with a holy calling by a holy God and we represent God Almighty who created everything. Now when it says we should walk worthy of this calling, in verses 1, 2, 3, it told us about our calling. That's what it did. Let's go back to verse to chapter 1 and just take a little samples from that and, 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 and uh, explain just a little something here, just some samples of what it's saying here. It says that in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So it's telling us that, that God Almighty, the creator of everything, he's the one who is eternal. He's the one who had no beginning, has no end. He's the one who says the, the waters, I don't care how much they rage, I don't care how much, I don't care what kind of tsunami comes, I don't care what it is, they, this, 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 this water is not coming over this area right here. And don't you know that you can look on a globe and you can see the, the world, don't you know that the water, the water is the greatest thing on that globe? Don't you know that what is keeping water from overcoming some of these little bitty, 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 bitty islands that you can't even see hardly on a globe? What's, what's keeping them from just washing them away? God. God, what he said into motion. And he says that I have blessed you as Christians with every spiritual blessing. If you can name it, I have blessed you with it in heavenly places. He said that just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we will be holy and blameless before him in love. He said, I did this before the world was even put into the existence, I've made it so that you would be holy before me and I love you. This is what he's saying. Before you even born. He said, I predestined you, in verse 5, I predestined you to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. I said, my goodness gracious, He's already predestined me to be a son, a son of God. That means that, my goodness gracious, he's going to adopt me. He's going to adopt me. I'm going to be a, a son of God, God Almighty, the creator of all things. He's calling me a son. He's calling you a daughter. He says that in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. His grace. He said, you, you know, your sins have been forgiven. Your, your, your past sins, your present sins, your future sins, I have forgiven them by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed. That's why I put in the word of God for you to read that if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He couldn't do it if it were not already paid for. He said, I've done that for you. I said, my, 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 my. He says in verse 11, 
also we have attained an inheritance. An inheritance, it means that I got something coming. Because my earthly father ain't have anything. He didn't have anything. When he died, I didn't get nothing. All my goodness gracious, man. I got a heaven father and I have an inheritance. What is that inheritance from Almighty God who's the creator of everything? What's my inheritance? And he tells me, all that I have is yours. He says that you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I'm a joint heir. I'm a joint heir of Christ Jesus uh, what, does, what does he own? What does he own? <laughs> what, does, what, does, what does Christ own? Everything. Everything. There's nothing created that was not created through him. Come on now. Everything. I'm a joint heir with Christ Jesus, the Son of Almighty God. Come on, we are. Come on, what kind of calling have you been called to? And this is just in, in, in the first little bit of chapter 1. I'm not going through chapter all over chapter 1 to chapter 2, because, you know, we have been sealed, it says in chapter 1, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sealed. You know what sealed means? You now, somebody who does some canning, you know, when you, when you have a garden or something like that, and you, you know, put stuff in a jar, you know, you, 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 know, you can things and, and you seal it. You know what I'm talking about, right, General? You seal something. When you seal it, hey, amen, it, it's going to stay fresh. It's going to stay fresh, right? We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit a promise we have, in other words, that, that, that we got what we are going to get. We already have it because we've been sealed. When we get opened up on that day, when we stand on Judgment Day, we'll get just as fresh. Whoo, my goodness gracious. Yes, we're just as fresh. Without spot, without blemish. This is what he has done. Let's go back to, to Ephesians. Now, we're talking about now, Walking worthy of the calling. So that's why he says walk worthy of the calling. Now our calling is so great. It is so great. We say, how can I walk, how can I walk worthy of that calling? Okay. We, it's nothing that you can do to deserve it. There's nothing I can do to deserve it. You can't do enough works to say, okay, now I'm Worthy of this calling. No. You'll never be, I'll never be, we'll never be worthy of the calling for which we've been called. Never be worthy. But he says that I want you to walk worthy of the calling. Well, why do I have to walk worthy of it if I'm never going to be worthy of it? Because I've given it to you by grace. And I want you to, now that you know of this heavy calling I have, I want you to walk realizing that you represent me. And see, that's what, the, what all of our presidents in the United States should have always been doing. I'm, going, I'm representing a calling that's so great. I'm not great, but a calling is great, so I have to have integrity. I have to have some honesty. I have to have something to live up to this, in, in this office. Otherwise, I'm going to uh, disgrace the people who put me in office. Well, that's what God wants us to do. That's what Paul said. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling because he doesn't want disgrace to fall upon the great name of our God who called us. Because there are many people that's not yet saved. And they are looking to us. That's why God put us here and kept us here. He wants us to be 
ambassadors for him. And he says, now you are missionaries. I want you to go out and I want you to now bring people to me. Well, of course, we know we can't bring anybody to him, but he will use us, won't he? He'll use our mouth. He'll use our, our feet. He'll use our finance. He'll use whatever uh, we want to offer up. We, he will use that to bring glory to himself because there is no greater glory than to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is no greater greater thrill than to know that your name is written in, in the Lamb's Book of Life. There is no greater reward that anybody can ever get than to get there and you have people say, thank you so much for praying for me. Thank you so much for giving towards us. Thank you so much. We were a nation that was, that, that was just poor. Uh, we, don't you know that we are, we are Christians only because somebody prayed, somebody did something, somebody said something, somebody lived in such a way that it didn't turn us off. So God's saying that I want you to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Now, let's go a little further. That's verse 1. Now, in verse 2, I'm going to skip over that and come back to it. Let's go to verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He wants us to be, he wants us to be diligent. I want, you, I want you to make every effort, your best effort, give it your best effort to preserve I want you to, 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 to maintain the unity of the Spirit because the Spirit of Almighty God, He's a unified Spirit. Is that correct? I want you to, I want you to maintain this unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And He's talking to the church at Ephesus. He's saying that, that, that I don't want you to let all these differences, whether the difference between Jews, the difference between Gentiles, a male, female, I, 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 don't, I don't bond or free. I don't want you, these differences to create in a disunity. I want you to be unified, maintain the unity of the Spirit. So therefore, it must be that we already have unity. If he says maintain it, we must already have it. Oh. Okay, well, I got it. Then what, 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 what kind of unity? What are we talking about when we're talking about unity? Let's go a little further when it says that. It says that in verse 4, there is one body. There is one spirit. Just as so you call it one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who's over all and through all. Wow. Wow. Then he says something in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace, grace, grace was given according to the measure of of Christ's gift. Everybody has a gift. Everyone has a gift. We're all different. We all have different functions in the body. We know that from other places in the scripture, whether it's Romans chapter 12, whether it's um, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12. We, we all have gifts, don't we? And they all differ, don't we? He says that there are a lot of differences, but I want you to maintain the unity of the spirit. Okay, let's go down to verse uh, 11. He gave some apostles, prophets, and pastors, and teachers, and evangelists. He said, for the equipment of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Oh, I thought you said over here that we already had unity because you asked us to maintain the unity. 
Now you're telling us to attain to the unity. How can you have it? Now he said, attain it. Well, I believe he's telling us that you have unity because you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. But there are going to be obstacles. There's going to be things that's going to try to prevent this unity from accomplishing the purpose which I have for it. So therefore, I want you to attain the unity of the faith. I want you to work towards the unity of the faith because there are obstacles. Now, this faith could mean that we're talking about the faith of Jesus Christ died, well, Jesus Christ was born, he was he, uh, born of a virgin, and, and all the, the gospel. But he also could be talking about trusting Christ. I say he's talking about trusting in him. I say that he wants to attain all of us to attain to where we trust in God. Do you realize if all of us trust in God, if your whole family trusts in God, you won't have no problem with unity. But we have to work towards everybody trusting God because do you realize your children have to trust God that if they be obedient, then you're not going to just run all over top of them. They're not going to be just a doormat. They're not going to just be told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and not taking into consideration them. Your teenagers, they have to trust God that if I obey my parents, things will go well with me. And I live long on the earth. Just what the scripture says. Don't it? If they don't trust God, what are they going to do? They're going to try to rebel. They're going to try to do their own thing. And you're going to have problems trying to keep them unified with what you want them to do. It's only because they don't have faith. It'll be the same thing in a marriage because God has already figured out and told us what to do, right? He says, okay, I want this job to be done right here. I want this responsibility to be done over here. I want this to be done over here. Now, we've got to trust God with that, don't we? We've got to trust God. So, oh, oh, um, I'm supposed to be the head. I don't want to be the head. I'd rather for her to be the head, and, you know, because she's bigger than me anyway. She, she might, she, man, she, can you imagine anybody who, who, who might be uh, married to, uh, you hear this lady named Ronda Rousey? She knows all this karate, knows all this stuff, man. Uh, man, she beat, 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 beat her boyfriends up. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, don't you know that no woman wants to be told, hey, your job is to just submit, woman. Just don't, don't, don't fight it. No one wants to be told that. Right? But that's what God said, didn't he? But, you know, on the problem is that you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to trust God that God's going to not let this man treat you like a doormat, right? He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna try very hard to be like Christ and love you just like Christ on the church. Everybody got to trust God, don't we? And when things don't go right with each other, we still going to have to trust God, don't we? That God's going to help my, my kids. They're not doing what they want to put. I'm going to trust God that he's going to bring them back. I'm going to trust God that he's going to unify us. Everybody got to trust God. It's got to be a unit. We got to attain to that. We got to attain, attain to that. You can say, well, uh, uh, it works good in the family. It works good everywhere. It works good on your job. You have to trust God for your boss. I don't know too many people have bosses that's good. 
I don't. I really don't. My daughter has one. Brandon has a boss. That's me. And I'm sure, <laughs> and I'm surely not good. <laughs> I mean, she tells me all the time, hey, you know, that's not, that's not good. But so nobody is good. She's going to have to trust God, doesn't she? We all got to trust God. You're going to have to trust God for me. You can say, well, man, you, you know, man, it'd be good. If you were like this and you were like this, you were like this, you were like this, man, we'll be happy, you know, uh, we'll be great congregants, man. We'll, we'll do what we're supposed to do. No, you're going to have to trust God, right? I have to do the same thing. We're going to have to trust God. Unity of the faith. Then it says, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we got to all not only attain to the unity of the faith, but we also got to attain to the to the unity of the knowledge of God. We all got to know God the same way he wants to be known. We all got to get in this word and know God. If you don't know God, how are you going to, how are you going to trust somebody you don't know? It's a, that, that's what it's saying here. So that's what unity means he's talking about in the first one. Now let's talk about how. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do it? Let's go back to verse 2. You remember when we skipped over verse 2. It says in verse 1, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the call in which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, I believe that we can walk worthy. The only way we're going to walk worthy of the calling which we've, which we've been called, the only way we're going to be diligent to preserve the unity of the faith, the only way we're going to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God is that we do verse 2. That is the how do I stamp out disunity in my family? How do I stamp out disunity in my marriage? How in the world do I stamp out this thing the answer is in verse 2. This is what we all have to do. We got to do four things, and they are connected. Four things. We got to walk in humility. We have to walk in, 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 in meekness or gentleness. We got to walk in long suffering, and we got to forbear, forbear one another in love. Those four things. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the four things. We'll stay right there in this, this verse right here for the rest of the message. These four things. Humility. We can't do anything, not one thing, in preserving any unity, in attaining any unity of the faith or the knowledge of the Son of God, unless we are humble. It starts with humility. Humility is a, a lowness of mind. It, it, it's, uh, some versions, they will say, maybe the King James, it will say, it won't say humility. It'll say the word lowliness. Because that's what it means, lowliness. What does lowliness mean? You think of yourself like you are. We are a mist. We are a vapor. Because we're not comparing ourselves with each other. That's unwise, the scripture says. We're comparing ourselves with God Almighty the maker and creator of the universe. We're comparing ourselves to him, and anybody who sees him is said like the prophet said, oh, my goodness gracious, my lips are, uh, uh, my lips are, are, are impure. Oh, my goodness gracious, how can I speak for you? 
anybody, anybody who sees Jesus, they fall to the ground. Oh, my goodness gracious. I don't care who they are. Apostle Paul, I don't care who they are. They just fall in, 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 the, in the brightness of his glory. And it says here that humility is the first thing that's going to take for us to be in unity. If your teenagers, if your junior hires, if your elementary school children are not humble, they are not going to be able to walk in unity with the family. If you are not in humility, you are not going to be, walk, be able to walk in humility anywhere you go, walk in, in, in unity anywhere you go. In a marriage, I don't care what it is. You're not going to be able to do it. You have to think low of yourself compared to Jesus Christ. You are low. You, I am, I already know I'm nothing. I, I don't have to be told, even though I'm told. I don't have to be shown, even though I'm shown. I, a lot of times, I mean, over, my, over, over the time I've been in the church, I've been really shown, you know, how nothing and little I am. Not, not counting the world and the world and the job since I've been, I've been shown that the players I used to coach, they told me how low I was behind my back. But they told me how low I was. And, and I'm telling you, we are. We are nothing. We are nothing. I, I know that's not a good theology uh, for what some, some people, people teach you. They said, you know, uh, you need some self-esteem. You need this. You need that. I don't need self-esteem. I need God-esteem. That's what I need. I don't need self-confidence. I need confidence in God. That's what I need. I don't need to think I'm something when I'm nothing, the Scripture tells me. The Scripture tells me that where I am. So if you don't believe you're nothing, it's because you haven't read it in the Scripture. God says, you know, you don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think highly. You know, you don't want to think highly of yourself because you're thinking yourself highly only because you're comparing yourself to somebody else. The only way that I can not walk in unity is because I am not thinking low enough for myself. I can't esteem you greater than myself because I'm so high. You see what I'm saying? And therefore, the next quality, which is meekness or gentleness, you know, I, I, I like to think of a, like, a, like a stallion, like one of these horses that's untamed, you know, and then they tame him, the horse, you know, they ride him. But that horse is still as strong as a horse ever was so strong. It's just decided that it's going to be gentle. It's going to be meek. It's going to let you ride him because you can go there. If people got horses, you got a horse, right? That horse is strong. That horse is strong. If you don't, you don't believe it, then stand behind it and pull his tail and, and see <laughs> You know, see, see how far you get kicked, you know. I'm telling you, they, they are strong. And the scriptures tell you they are strong because he's not, he's not impressed with the, with the legs of man. He's he not or the strength of the horse. He, he's not. So the horse is strong. So, but the horse can be meek because it has decided to be there. We need to be meek. We, even though we have abilities, we need to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to move and guide us anywhere he wants to move, move us and guide us. That's meekness. Long-suffering, the third quality, long-suffering is saying that I'm going to suffer long with you. You're going to suffer long with me. You're going to tolerate me. You're going to put up with me. My, see, you've got to be long-suffering 
Because if you're not long-suffering, you're not, you're not humble. You're not humble if you're not long-suffering. Hear me now. You can't be long-suffering if you're not humble. See, if I'm not long-suffering with you, I'm thinking that you have a problem. <laughs> I don't have that problem. You got the problem. See, I'm comparing yourself to me in that area, so therefore, I'm not long-suffering with you. How long do I have to put up with this that you are doing? Right? We've told people that before, haven't we? How long do I have to put up with this? How long does God put up with us? Huh? Huh? Now, let's go a little further. If you're not humble, you can't be meek. There's no such thing as a proud horse that will let you ride it. No such thing. No such thing, you know, as a, as a proud person who's going to be long-suffering. There's no such thing as somebody who is proud that's going to be tolerant because they're forbearing one another in love. That's what it says. Forbearing one another in love. Forbearing one another's love goes back to, he says, that you, all you have gifts differing. So we're all so different. You remember I said we're all so different. The only way we can work together is that all of us are humble. All of us allow the Holy Spirit to move and guide and flow with us however he wants us to do. He's, we're also one that will not only be long-suffering with our weakness, but we're going to tolerate it. We're not tolerating it now with a rolling of the eyes. You know how you tolerate them. We, we, we roll the eyes, you know. No. He said in love. In love. That love is, in, in the strong according, is 26. That means agape. That means that it's a God kind of love. That means that it's a love that, that loves you in spite of yourself. Love you even when you don't, you're not lovable. That's the, that, that's the kind of love he's talking about. He says that I want you to forbear one another, tolerate one another in love. Now, in order to do that, I have to, I have to tolerate you, you have to tolerate me when my gifts are different from yours, my personality is different from yours, because some people have a personality, they just pushy. Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't like pushy people. Right? But God says that I want you to, I want you to forbear them in love because you need them. Because they're going to get some things done that you can't get done. Because you're so laid back, you know, you, you know, you let anything go. Well, they're not going to let anything go. You say, oh, oh, okay, I see. And then the, the, the pushy person, uh, the, 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 you know, that's aggressive, he said, look, you got to tolerate this person who they seem to don't stand for nothing. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Because people got personalities that you know rub you the wrong way. You know that. And you're, you, 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 you're with them on a the job. You're with them in the family. Come on. All your children don't have the same personality. Right? You're with them in the church. And you got one pastoring you. You got 
three of them elder than you, right? We got different personalities, and, and we're just different. We're all different. But God says that I want you to forbear one another because those personalities, I put them there. And, and I put them there, so I'm going to show the principalities, I'm going to show the whole world how that the, that, that, that the Spirit of God, the unity of the Spirit, can bring all of that together and produce something that can't be produced by, by your little group. That You know how, how you get this little group together, and all of you like the same things, all of you do the same thing, and you say, this is my group, this is, we are ace coon booms, you know, uh, we are, we are, we are okay, you know. Uh, don't you know that God is saying that your little group is not going to accomplish nothing? Because you're too little to accomplish anything. You don't have enough variety. Only thing that's going to be accomplished that God wants you to accomplish is by everybody God gives you to accomplish it. The whole family is needed to do the work of a family. It's me. So that means that you've got to be long-suffering. And you've got to forbear me, even though, come on now, even though you know that you would do things different if you were standing up here you would do things different if you were leading. Right? And I guarantee you that every last one of you would do it different. I don't care if it's in your little group that, that, that y'all do the same things, you like the same things. I guarantee you that you find out that, oh, my goodness, I thought we were the same. And, you know, now they act like, they, act like they're something now because they got a little position. All right? Come on. God says that I want you unified. The only way we're going to do it is to be humble. Be meek. Be long-suffering. And we forbear one another in love. And it takes the whole group to bring it together. The whole group. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Every single part. Every single part of your body you need. You need. It does a work, doesn't it? And you can cut off your arms, you can cut off your legs if you want to. And you say, I can get it done without them. And you'll sit right there till somebody move you. Won't you? Because you can't move. You got rid of the, your moving force. Your legs. You can't eat. Because now, you got rid of your arms. See? And, and, and that's and that what we say sometimes. Well, if we didn't have this person in the group, we'd be okay. Right? Come on. In our job, in the church, we would say that. And God said, no. I put, I, I put everybody there just to help the whole group accomplish my purpose and my will. Let's stand. God is good, isn't he? Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Taylor and Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.